0: Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios,
1: it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. I am Tom Brenneman, and it's great to have you with us on this Wednesday morning. We're a little more than uh, about 36 hours away from the Bengals and the Dolphins. Tomorrow night at Paycor Stadium, big game. Dolphins come rolling in 3-0. Fresh off an unbelievable win against the Buffalo Bills, The Bengals, as you know, getting their first win over the New York Jets on Sunday. Bad news yesterday. It looked initially like DJ Reader was going to be okay after suffering that knee injury on Sunday. He left the game, watched the rest of the game in the locker room, but everybody felt like this was going to be okay. Not okay. Not season ending. Nothing like that, but it looks like he's going to miss a number of weeks. Not sure exactly how many. They don't know. Uh, But I think it's safe to say that ever since that guy walked in the door into the Bengals' training facility, he has made a huge impact on the field and off the field. There are many of the players that have pretty much gone on record as saying he is the heart and soul of that defense, despite the fact that he's only been here for two years. So somebody's got to step up. And we're going to find out if the Bengals have that somebody without DJ Reader for a number of weeks coming up. This is a big hit for the Bengals. There's no doubt about it. Their defense has played so well. uh, And I know there are people out there saying, you know, it's against Mitch Trubisky and it's against Cooper Rush and it's against Joe Flacco. Perfectly legitimate arguments, no doubt about it. But the bottom line is, You play against whoever it is you play, and you look at the results. They've not given up a touchdown in the last 18 drives by the opponent. This defense is really, really playing well. And they have a tall order coming up this weekend. You heard from Grant Napier yesterday about Tua and how well he's playing, making believers out of many who weren't so sure when the season started down in Miami. So that game is tomorrow night. We invite you to join us. We're here 10 to 12 every single day. You can go to YouTube and type in Chatterbox Sports. We also stream on Facebook at Chatterbox Sports. We invite you to subscribe. We're up over 2,000 subscribers now, I understand, and growing rapidly. Had a huge day yesterday, our biggest day by far, of people that watch the show. You can follow us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, At Tom Brenneman TV, today is the big interview day. And uh, what a guest we have today. Many feel the greatest catcher of all time, Johnny Lee Bench, will be joining us in about 40 minutes from now. But time to bring in another Hall of Famer, who covered a lot of Johnny Bench's games in his day, and that is the Hall of Famer, the Ford Frick Award winner, and my dad. Marty Brenneman, good morning. How are you today on this beautiful Wednesday here in Cincinnati?
0: I am outstanding. Every morning I wake up, it's another day that I don't have to worry about somebody getting a shovel full of dirt and pitching it away to dig a hole. So I'm I'm in good shape. No question about it, Tom. Thank
1: you. Hey, I got to ask you, uh, how am I going to handle Tracy Jones? Before we get into the serious stuff here for a second, I don't know – If you saw any of his interview on this program yesterday, he joins us every Tuesday and Thursday. Uh, His comments blew up on the internet yesterday. Uh, You've worked with this guy for a long, long time. Do you have any advice on how we handle him on this show twice a week?
0: No, I do not have a single bit of advice. And that statement comes out of a guy who has uh, done radio with him uh, during the baseball season. I don't know why the station doesn't do it year-round because we are much more uh, eloquent in terms of knowledge about something other than baseball. Uh, having said that, 21 years, he and I have done that Brenneman and Jones on baseball show on 700 WLW. And I just, the only way I can deal with this situation is to roll with the punches. I mean, you have to, you, you intuitively realize at some point that he's going down a road that will not be good. And he gives you enough advanced notice that you can figure out a way at, on the spur of the moment to avoid that disaster. Uh, I know yesterday, he once again touched on Tom Brady. Yep. He made a comment He made a comment that I'm not a big fan of. He used a term that I'm not a big fan of. Uh, but that's the essence of what he's all about. Now, I will say this. He never ceases to amaze me, because yesterday, He brought up names. You all were talking about Ron Yerry, one of the great players of all time. Uh, He talked about, you know, Paul Krause and Fred Cox and people like that. And I'm thinking, I'm amazed that he knows NFL players by name, just rolling off the tip of his tongue and going back probably 35 years, 40 years maybe. Uh, So I was impressed with that. Uh, that he has a knowledge about something other than baseball. Because at the end of the day, uh, he's a pretty one-dimensional guy.
1: <laughs> one-dimensional guy? I'm saying? You, you just gave him a bunch of credit for talking about something other than baseball, and you're saying he's one-dimensional.
0: Well, um, I said that because I am. I am. I'm well-read. I read books. I'm reading Stephen King's latest novel. By the way, anybody that reads and reads and and are fans of Stephen King, the new book has been out about a month entitled Fairy Tale. Very long book. It'll keep you on the edge of your seat. Great book.
1: Well, I'm a big Stephen King fan. I've read most of his stuff, so I will have to check it out. You'll love
0: this one, then. You'll love this one.
1: Well, I can't wait. Um, Okay. I want to ask you a little bit about, and, and we touched on this uh, a little bit the last time you were here. The Reds lose again last night. They right. now have ninety-five losses with seven games to go. Obviously, right. they need to find a way to win three games to avoid uh, a one-hundred-loss season. The, you know, I, like I said, we touched on it a little bit before, but and asked Tracy about it yesterday. Does it really matter if you lose 98, 99, or 102?
0: Other, uh, The only thing that matters is, from my perspective, is it does single that season out um, as the ultimate in futility. Now, uh, and and I say that based on the team that I broadcast for back in the early 80s. Well, I don't know what year. I, uh, years escaped me, but 83, uh, 84, somewhere along them, where they lost 101 games, I think. And, and when people periodically bring up something like this, they automatically go back to that season. That's the only thing that I can think of where it really matters. I mean, g- given the fact the Reds have had only one 100-loss season in the history of their franchise, and uh, it's up for grabs in 2022, uh, so that would make it obviously two in the entire history going back to 1869, that singles them out automatically. But other than that, I don't think it means anything.
1: All right, uh, the Yankees clinched the American League East. It's been a really weird team when you stop and think about it. They got off to the great start. And, I mean, they look like one of the best Yankee teams of all time, and that's saying something. And then they went through roughly a month and a half where they couldn't buy a win. Uh, And now all of a sudden, here we are. They're going to be the East champions uh, in a very stacked, in my opinion, American League. I, I don't think there's any pushover You know, whether it's uh, Toronto's in there, we know Cleveland's in there. I don't think there's a layup or a gimme, uh, maybe in either league, but especially the American League. You've known Aaron Boone a long, long time. Um, Are you surprised maybe isn't the right word? Um, What what are your thoughts of him as a manager in in the way he deals with everything?
0: I'm a big fan. Um, I think that that you have an abundance of managers in the American league that are solid, legitimate candidates for a manager of the year in that league. Uh, you've got, you've got Aaron, you've got, uh, Terry Francona, you've got, uh, Buck, uh, in Baltimore, you've got dusty in Houston, uh, the list goes on and on. Um, but I think Aaron Boone, the, the reason I think a lot of the, of the ineptitude that they went through had a lot to do with injuries. Because I don't know that there's been another club in the American League that's had to deal with more injury over the course of this season than the New York Yankees have. And so I think Aaron has done a wonderful job. Um, if this team doesn't make the World Series, and I think we all know what standards the Steinbrenner family has and, and, and Brian Cashman, uh, I would be stunned if they did not win the World Series that they let him go. I think they'd be making a major mistake. I think he's an outstanding manager. I think the players will really like him. Um, He's got some fire in him. I'm a a big fan of Aaron Boone. But then again, I say that with great prejudice because I'm a big fan of the Boone family, period. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, I know without even asking you, you said it before. At the end of the day, when you start to watch the baseball playoffs, is it safe to say that Marty Brenneman is rooting for the Houston Astros to win the whole thing?
0: I would do. I would. And I yes. Uh, and obviously, for one reason, one, there's no bigger fan of Dusty Baker than I am. And secondly, I it, it, there are those idiots out there that think, well, he can't make the Hall of Fame because he's never won a World Series. I think that's the biggest bunch of crap I've ever heard. He's in the top three or four all time and in, in wins. Um, uh, he lost the World Series, and one that you did against the San Francisco – the playoffs against the San Francisco Giants and also lost the World Series against the L.A. Angels. Um, but I, I if, if, in fact, that would put those dissenters to rest, then I would like to see him walk away with a world championship. But short of him winning it, uh, I've got a lot of other fans. You know, I'm a big fan of Terry Francona. He's yeah. been a dear friend of mine forever. I mentioned Aaron um so uh, yeah if i if i had a priority i would say yeah my priority would be for dusty to win it if he couldn't i got a whole lot of other candidates i'd root for
1: you know i want to ask you a little bit about terry francona in a minute because i think anybody who's ever had a chance to spend time around him and you spent a lot of time around him you guys have stayed in close contact uh forever uh, when he was uh, in philly as a manager boston as a manager now with cleveland One of the most likable people in the world out there there are those that say a manager doesn't make a huge difference in baseball i've never been a believer in that i don't think you're a believer in that i think what he's done with a team in cleveland is is one of the most amazing things i've ever seen because i think even more than an average baseball fan not not the guys that follow this stuff religiously every day especially in cleveland But I'm not sure that even a better-than-average baseball fan could name you three players on that Cleveland team. It's unbelievable what he has done up there.
0: Might be the best managerial job he's ever done. Uh, Because you're right. He's got a bunch of no-names on that club as far as I'm concerned. And I know those, quote, no-names are guys that can play. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in the position that they're in. But I think he's a kind of rare commodity that can raise the level of of abilities because of – uh, all the attributes uh, that he brings to the table as a major league manager. And those things have been borne out over years, as you mentioned, with Philly and Boston uh, and in Cleveland. Um, he's For me, he's just a very special person who was raised in a great baseball family. His dad, Tito, was an outstanding hitter in the American League with the Cleveland Indians. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know that you can offer up a, a candidate more worthy of another manager of the year award because he's won them before. Uh, Two world championships with the Boston Red Sox uh, got screwed in Philadelphia when they ran him out of town. Uh, No, I I, I agree with everything you say about him as a manager. Uh, He's as honest and as forthcoming as a day is long. And he will tell a player straight out what he thinks. Uh, We saw that act in front of God and the world on the mound uh with uh Trevor Bauer yep. when he threw the ball into the center field or into the seats in the outfield, whatever it was. Uh he's he's a real honest person. And that's the most important word of all because I think all great managers have a level of honesty above them about them, over and above what the normal individual in baseball has. He will tell you straight out and you can take it to the bank and I think that's part of the big reason why he's been so successful.
1: You know, you just mentioned Trevor Bauer, and and you and I did not discuss uh, some of the topics we were going to bring up today. And if you would prefer not to go down this road, I totally get it. But whether you like the guy or not, and, you know, look, he, he went before a judge in a court of law in California. There were no indictments, no charges. He wasn't guilty of anything. Now Nothing. was he guilty of making some bad decisions? Everybody's guilty of making bad decisions. I don't care who <clears throat> you are, right? But, Correct. But you know when, when, when you when you draw a, 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 an analogy of of his situation and Deshaun Watson's situation, okay? And we all know his situation, right? He did go to Absolutely. court. Ultimately, not found guilty. He's paid off a bunch of people. Everybody knows that's the deal. Has baseball been fair to Trevor Bauer not allowing him to pitch for now almost two years?
0: Not for me. Uh, As far as I'm concerned, Deshaun Watson should have been thrown out of the National Football League for all time, not just for X number of games. Um, uh, As far as, as, as Trevor Bauer is concerned, maybe one day we will find out what the real story has been. Uh, if there is such a thing behind the fact that here we are and he's still sitting. It, after a judge threw out a case, I think that's the way it happened, yeah. that he listened to all the evidence and he, he said the uh, the prosecutorial uh, side had no grounds to, to uh, impose any kind of penalty on him from a judicious standpoint. Um, so, no, I, I would really love to know. Uh, why this thing has gone on as long as it has, uh, that's one question. And and the other one is, why in the world did Deshaun Watson get away with so little penalty based on all the evidence that's been brought to bear? And you have, what, uh, 20-plus civil suits filed by different women, uh, all of which I think have been settled out of court, or at least the ones that we know about. Uh, And yet the NFL takes a position that it took on him I guessed at that decision without any question
1: um getting back to 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 current baseball for a second there I think across the board it is safe to say and I can say this even though personally we did not have the greatest relationship and worked together for a number of years in Arizona and that's Buck Showalter (laughs) I think, there's a, I think there's an interesting, you know, sort of avenue. avenue for both Buck and for Dusty Baker. Now, Dusty's won more games, but everywhere Buck Showalter has gone, he has won. I mean, he right. even had some crappy teams in Baltimore that, that found a way to string things together, and he was there a long time, but, you know, managed the Yankees, took them to the playoffs, managed the Diamondbacks, took them to the playoffs, Rangers took them to the playoffs, going to take the Mets to the playoffs. Do you right. think that Buck Showalter has to win a World Series? You talked about Dusty. Does Buck Showalter have to win a World Series to get in the Hall of Fame?
0: You know, I, that's a great question because um, – <clears throat> and I say this because I truly believe it. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Uh, there are a lot of people that don't like Buck Showalter or did not like the earlier Buck Showalter. I haven't seen him probably, I don't know, the four, four years, three. Yeah, definitely at least that much. But I get the impression – that he probably has mellowed a little bit from the way he was when he was managing the Yankees, when he was managing uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, People love Dusty for the most part. People really love Dusty Baker. I think that there are guys that have personal uh, uh, dislikes about certain people. And so whether or not those people are qualified uh, to be in a Hall of Fame uh, in this case, baseball, maybe they don't vote for him. You know, there were a lot of people who didn't like Steve Carlton because he would not talk to writers after mm-hmm. he felt like, uh, you know, he, he was not treated right by a, a columnist with a Philadelphia Inquirer. that, but, but his position was, I'm not going to talk to anybody. I'm not going to say I'm not talking to the media anymore, but I'll talk to you, but I won't talk to your dad. Uh, that's, I got a problem with, but once he made that decision, he was not going to talk to the media. He stood by it and it made no difference who it was, whether it was a network person, whether it was some guy working for a bi-weekly newspaper. Um, so, you know, I think he was wronged. He eventually got into the Hall of Fame, but I think it took a lot longer than it should have uh, because people use their personal likes or dislikes against a guy. And I think that that's a, that's a problem that Buck may well have unless Buck has become a different person. I think from a Managerial standpoint, there isn't anybody better in baseball yep. at managing and running a game than Buck Walter. No question about it.
1: Yeah, he, he's an outstanding man. And I think you're, I, I think you're right. I, I think there are people, uh, maybe in, in New York, specifically in New York who were around that Buck show, Walter that you talked about back in his Yankee days a thousand years ago. Now, he comes back to the town as manager of the Mets. They've righted that ship, and I think they look like, if the pitching is healthy, I think they look like they have a chance to win the whole thing. Do you think it's no a slam question. dunk the Dodgers are going to win it? I know they've had a better year than everybody else, but, I mean, they've got some issues with their pitching right now in terms of health as well. Is it a slam dunk they're going to the World Series? Not win it, but going?
0: No, I don't think so. Um, I, I, I think that uh, once again, Atlanta is going to pose a very, uh, very tough mountain to overcome, but so too will the New York Mets. Uh, you've got some good clubs in this league. You may have more good teams in the American league, but you've got some darn good clubs in the Dodgers and the Mets and the Atlanta Braves. Um, so no, I don't think it's a slam dunk at all. I think from a position standpoint. You know, not talking about pitching and pitching is obviously going to determine at the end of the day, who's a world champion in 2022 as it is in every year. But I think from a position standpoint, uh, they probably have the best eight uh, in the National League. Now, whether or not their pitching is going to be healthy enough and hold up long enough to get them another world championship is going to uh, be determined. But I don't think for anybody to say you can take it to the bank, they're going to win the World Series. I think that's a wrong approach to take without any question.
1: Um, Shifting gears to college football, your alma mater, had a General. chance to make a serious statement over the weekend. Uh a Notre and Dame laid a team major that egg. was struggling and you know, they finally got their first win over Cal. Didn't look good doing it in Notre Dame. They come down there to Carolina. Carolina is scoring points like crazy. And uh and Notre Dame just bludgeoned them. What happened?
0: I think a combination of two things happened. One, Carolina's defense is horrible. I mean, they couldn't guard you and me and Casey uh if we were wide receivers on the Carolina Club and I'm 80 years old for God's sake. Um, they they can't defense the run, they can't defense the pass. Uh, I understand that they had a players only meeting the defensive team did yesterday uh, to try and talk this thing out amongst themselves without any coaches present. Um, their offense, there isn't any question. I don't I don't think their offensive line blocked very well against Notre Dame. Uh, uh, they have a couple of freshman running backs that are outstanding. And the quarterback, uh, I think Drake May is going to be one of the great quarterbacks that's ever played at Carolina. And as a redshirt freshman, uh, he's getting it done right now. But he looked like he was totally mystified at times against the Notre Dame defense. I think Carolina uh, should have beaten them. They were favored to win in Chapel Hill, and they laid a major egg. And if they're going to have any kind of decent season, They've got to get themselves together defensively because I don't think they got to worry about the offense as long as the line can provide the kind of pass protection for the freshman May uh, that they're capable of. But uh, to me, they they go three and zero. They beat uh, you know they beat an Appalachian State team that that win will people say, well you know Carolina against Appalachian State. Well, all of a sudden after Appalachian State goes down and beats Texas A and M, all of a sudden that becomes a more impressive win than it mm-hmm. appeared at first. But then the next two weeks, they play a couple of Patsies, one of which was Georgia State, and they had a struggle like hell to win that game. So they've got to get themselves together defensively very, very quickly. It's going to be a long year in Chapel Hill if they can't.
1: Now, I know you watch the Bengalis religiously, they get the first I win do. of the year uh, against the Jets. Uh, Are you going to the game tomorrow night? I mean, you've got all your highfalutin friends with skyboxes and stuff like that, probably a limo they'd send out to pick you up, all the sponsors you're doing, uh, sponsorships and that kind of thing. Are you headed down there tomorrow night?
0: Can I ask you a question? Of course. Do you know how many times I've seen the Bengals play in in person since 1977? How many?
1: One time. That was was in
0: 1977 when, in the snow, I saw O.J. Simpson rush for, I don't know, close to 200 yards. And Dick Enberg and Dye Drysdale were the voices of the Uh, Rams. No, I'm sorry. I saw him play another time against the Rams the same year. And that was when he had the big rushing game in the snow and Enberg and, and, and Drysdale with the play-by-play voices. That's the only time I've seen the Bengals play since 77. Figure up the number of years. It's a long damn time. So, no, in answer to your question, I will be sitting home and I will be watching. Uh, thank God. Well, I got Amazon Prime, so I can watch that too. But I'll be watching it. And, and I look forward to that game because I think it's got a chance to really be a good football game. I'm, I'm terribly sorry. You you gave me the news about Reeder. That's a major hit for that defense. No doubt. Uh, it's unfortunate that he won't be playing.
1: I'm just surprised that, you know, you, you that, that you don't decide to go ahead, you know, right now while the weather's still good and head on down there. I mean, what do you got to do on a Thursday night? I mean, I know you got people asking you to go here and speak there. And, you know, I mean, why not go down to a game? And check it out. I mean, you I don't did like, like 40 events last Saturday in one single day. Last Friday or Saturday, whatever it was.
0: Five events in one day.
1: Yeah. And so, obviously, at 80 years young, you're still able to get out there and do stuff and be active and be fit and, you know, with it and on and all that kind of thing. So, I mean, would you consider, maybe not tomorrow night, but would you consider <laughs> going to a Bengals game before the weather turns this year?
0: Do you have a schedule of the Bengals at hand?
1: Casey, can you guys pull that up, please? Casey? Ask
0: ask, Casey who they're playing the first Sunday in December.
1: Well, in December, it's going to be
2: freezing down there. Wait a minute. Ted, does he have a schedule? They are playing. Oh, you want to go to the Kansas City game, Marty? That's a great big old bingo. It's not a matter of whether I want to or not. I am going. All right, well. Uh, Tom had originally committed to playing some beer pong with me, uh, at a tailgate. (laughs) So if we can get you in on that action too, let's go as a group.
1: He's not going down there. Let me tell you something. He's going to be, if you're going on December the 1st, that means that you are not going to be exposed to the elements that day. Is that a fair question?
0: That's another big old bingo. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly correct.
1: Who are you sitting down there with? Would it be one of our outstanding sponsors and Encore technologies?
0: You know what? You have done a lot of homework. Yeah. Yeah. My good friend, JB.
1: Not Johnny Bench. John Burns. That would be my good friend, John Burns. Yes. Okay. So you're going down to the Kansas City game. And that's a pretty good football game? game. What is that? Is that a four thirty game? Uh, it got to be a four thirty. Oh, it's four twenty five. Yeah, yeah, it's got to be. I knew. I knew it
2: would be I a
0: mean, late that, game.
1: Yeah, the big game. Amanda double-head.
0: and I will be there. We'll be there. Yeah. Okay.
1: Well, why don't yeah. you ask Thank your buddy God, John, John Burns uh, uh, about tickets for this <laughs> for tomorrow night?
0: No, I I, I'm, I'm, I I like to sit home and and watch the game and and uh, take care of Millie and and our, our cat baby and and. Uh, get up when I want to and, and you know I'm not going to be bothered by having to talk to a bunch of people I'm going to concentrate on Tua and Joe Bur- Burrow and and I'm going to enjoy the night immensely okay
1: uh before we let you go uh we're going to have Johnny Bench as part of our big interview that we do here every Wednesday right right you've known Johnny forever Um yes you know, I, I find him a fascinating guy in a lot of ways. And there's a, there's another guy who, you know, a lot of people love. There's some people that, eh, you know, whatever. And the whole thing with him and Pete and so on and so forth. We're not getting into that. But right. just as a player, um, over the long haul, he has to be the greatest Red you ever saw, right? I mean, he has to be over the long haul. Is that fair?
0: You know what I say? When I speak to groups – And naturally, a big red machine always comes up and the individuals and then the team itself. And I will say at some point, he's the greatest player at a given position that I've ever seen. And I will have people come up to me and say, he's not the greatest player in the history of baseball. I said, I didn't say that. I said, he's the greatest player at a given position. He's a guy who revolutionized the way the position, the catching position was played um he took the pirates completely out of their running game in the 1975 national league championship series and that was a club that had great speed and stole a lot of bases he could take in to his hand the ability from the the other team standpoint um he there was nothing he could not do given the position he played uh he was just amazing to watch. I think about all the other catchers that have come down the pike since uh, he was on top of his game back in the late 60s and throughout the decade of the 70s. And there was nobody that, that I could say, this guy excites you so much as as a catcher, the way that he did. Um, he played hurt. Uh, he, he, he Yeah, I, I can't say enough about the, the way he performed but at his position. And the respect that he had from everybody in the game of baseball in the years in which he played in Cincinnati.
1: All right, I got three pages, four pages worth of questions here uh, in, in doing some research on Johnny Bench. I don't know if a single one of them really is any good. But if you had to ask Johnny Bench one question, I'm going to throw you on the spot. Is there a question that you've never heard him asked? Or a topic you've never heard him asked about?
0: It's tough. Yeah. You know, let me tell you something. And this has nothing to do with baseball.
1: Yeah, good. I don't like the baseball stuff. The thing I have
0: the most respect for, and he may not talk about it, I don't know, is the fact that he has basically raised two boys. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying he's not had some help, but the fact of the matter is when all is said and done at the end of the day and these two kids grow up to be the kind of fine individuals that I think they'll grow up to be, he will be the person who will have to receive the lion's share. And I, and I, I you know, we talk about uh, so-and-so is a great broadcaster. So-and-so is a great player. Okay. That's all well and good for me. What kind of person is he is personally? And and from a par- parental standpoint, what he's done with those two boys to me is just, Absolutely amazing, and he's not looking around for anybody to pat him on the back and tell him what a great dad he's been. But a great dad
1: he has been, without any question. Yeah, yeah, and, and I'm hoping we get into that because I think I hope you can. Of, I yeah, hope well, you I, mean, can. I and and I, I think there are a lot of people that feel like you do uh, in, on topics like this. I mean, it's one thing to hear him talk about hitting the home run. I think it was off Dave Justy, right, Game Five Correct. in the playoffs in '72. And yeah, you can talk about that kind of stuff, but. But at the end of the day, Johnny Bench is, what, almost 80 years old now?
0: Yeah, I got yeah, him by a year or two, I guess. Yeah, yeah and I mean, he's he's
1: still raising two boys by himself. Not Like you said, has some help, no doubt. But but raising two boys by himself uh, down in Florida, and, uh, and good for him. Good for him.
0: Yeah, the other thing is, from a baseball standpoint, Tom, from my perspective, he had the greatest flair for the dramatic of any player I've ever seen. The home run he hit off, Justy. The home run he hit for the Reds' only run against the Houston Astros at Riverfront on Johnny Bench Night, yep. and he hit a home run that night before uh, thousands of people. He just had an ability to rise to the occasion at moments in which that team needed him the most.
1: All right, Dad, we thank you for your time and uh, cozy okay. up, cozy up with everybody tomorrow night with Millie. Yeah, I will baby cozy up with myself, myself. What? You just said you're Cozy watching you up with, with myself.
0: You're not, is a man myself. not going to watch
1: a game with you?
0: Oh, yeah, well, she's a Steelers fan. Oh, boy. Yikes. Well, I she understand. was raised in okay, Ashland, I Kentucky. Understand.
1: And, I understand that. You know. Boy.
0: Now, she pulls for the she – she'll watch them because she pulls for them. If they play the Steelers, that's a different deal. But that's – and I don't have a problem with that because she was raised a Steelers fan. Okay, um, that's
1: fair enough. Yeah. You, know, you fair understand? Fair enough. All right. Okay. Right. Well, love you. I'll talk to you later. I'll keep you posted, by the way, on how Luke does today. I know you got a busy day and he's got the big. Yeah, I'd love him.
0: to be there, but I can't. But let me know when, when you get out there.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's already uh, off and running. So, okay, pal. Going to race there afterwards. I'll talk to you later on. Give my boys the best. Fellas, you want to say hello to, to Marty?
2: Marty, how'd your cooking do on Friday? I didn't get a chance to stop by. How'd the cooking segment go?
0: It was sensational. I mean, I a man and I cooked Italian meatballs. Uh, a great dish that takes no time to fix uh, with that delicious Lars Lean Oh, my meat. God. It was so – I see you working. I see you working. Well, I mean, they, you know, Brandon
1: was, brings this up. It's the only – I mean, his, his, it's my his, favorite. his questions it, are so tired. They all come back to Lean. No, Lars no, his two questions are damn good. They're tired, much like his No, they're not because they, you see another
0: side of me, see. You, you're going to talk with Bench <laughs> about what a great dad he's been. And Brandon brings in elements – Completely away. I, in fact, I had a person on Instagram. I posted a picture with a uh, with an apron on at the stove I saw in our it, kitchen, I saw it. and yeah. and somebody And t- somebody texts me, "You are really sexy." <laughs> that Did you hear you,
2: what I said? I heard what you <laughs> said. Can Can I just for, for for personal gratification? I will never ask about Laura's lean ever again. Can I just get one even jerky?
1: Yeah, I'll take care of you. Just let me know. See, it always comes back to this. You know,
2: even jerky right now, Marty. Give it got. to me. Casey's even <laughs> Casey's even bored with it.
1: I know he is. I know, I know.
0: Casey. Casey has to add a, uh, an element of normalcy into the conversation, something that you at times woefully fail in.
1: How do you like my beard? I'm going into savage mode because of my good friend, Zim Hude. I told him I wouldn't shave again until the Bengals, uh, if they ever, I'm not going to shave unless they lose. How do you like it so far?
0: I'm not a big fan of some you know, you do whatever you feel like you have to do.
1: Well, I mean, my um, man, Zim Hude, you know, he comes on with us twice a week. I know.
0: And I'm very impressed with him, by the way. Yep. That's yep. a wonderful addition to your program because I think the guy is really good.
2: I, I did just think of a real question because I saw it on Twitter. It's not about Laura's lean. Today's 15 years since Jay Bruce's home run against the Astros, the walk-off. Both of you guys called that, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: Sure did.
0: We did. Sure did. One of the top moments in my career in terms – people say, what are your favorite calls? They think Pete's hit, Brownie's perfect game, et cetera. That was one – that might be my single favorite call. That those in the 500 and 600th home runs from a junior.
2: Yeah, That's what I was going to say. No, knocking right. the door down to the 500 clubs, one of my favorites. Knocking the door down. That was number 500, yeah. Knocking the door down. Yeah.
1: All right. You know. Well, have a good all one. All right, guys, Have a good day. All right. See you, Marty.
0: You t- so I Talk to Tracy again. Tell him I said hello. Keep up the bad work. <laughs>
1: yeah, we'll talk to him tomorrow. Or th- I'll tomorrow see you. Thursday. Okay. See you. All right. All right. We thank Marty Brenneman for joining us. That was a lot of fun. Always is having him on the program. We appreciate his time coming on the program. Uh, he's a busy guy. He's got stuff to do. And he, and he finds a way to sneak it in for his son. Trying to build up what's going to be a future dynasty here on Off the Bench, fellas. We're on our way. We're on our way. We're on our way. Yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, come on. All right. Our big interview is coming up next. Johnny Lee Bench. Stick around. Welcome back to Off the Bench presented by United Dairy Farmers. You know, on Wednesday, we do what's called the big interview. And we've been extremely blessed to have, uh, you know, some big name guys. And And I think the case can be made that here in only our third week that The two greatest players for their franchise and our franchises here in Cincinnati in both baseball and the National Football League, we had Anthony Munoz week one, and today we have Johnny Lee Bench. This guy's story and this guy's career, and we're going to talk a lot about him personally a little bit later on, but when you just look at some of the things, and look, it's been a while, right? He'll be the first to tell you and laugh about it. But you go back when he was called up to the big leagues at 19 years young. His first full year in the big leagues in 68, he wins a rookie of the year. He wins a gold glove. He was the first catcher to ever win the rookie of the year. First catcher to ever win a gold glove as a rookie. Two years later, becomes the youngest player ever to win the National League's most valuable player award. Led the Reds to the World Series, 45 home runs, knocked in nearly 150 runs. He wins another MVP in 72. We talked about that home run with my dad a moment ago against Dave Justy in Game 5 of the LCS, dramatic home run that tied the game. We know about the Big Red Machine, back-to-back World Series. Johnny Bench won 10 gold gloves, 10, was an all-star 14 times. He's in the Baseball Hall of Fame. He has won the Hutch Award, went into the Hall of Fame in 1989. And we are so fortunate to have with us today on the big interview. The Pride of Bangor, <laughs> Oklahoma, Johnny Lee Bench. Look at you Johnny, down there, Johnny man.
3: Johnny Lee's here and you've already where is it? Where do you get off using off the bench?
1: Well, because I'm trying to get my career off the bench. <laughs> that put me sense? in, coach. That'll put me that, in, coach. Yeah. Amen. You never sat You're the bench. Good. But you know good. what? You were always tight with those guys uh, that were on the bench. You got to be you. You got to be tight with everybody, whether they were guys in the bullpen, guys that weren't playing every day. Yeah, you were really close to to Joe Morgan and all those guys. But the one thing I noticed about you, Johnny, is is that you always you were always putting stock in what those guys saw or said on the bench is that a fair is that a fair comment
3: oh yeah yeah I mean I I'm just I you know, I'm a kid from Oklahoma I grew up in a town of 600 people I mean those kids were just those guys I say kids those guys were just the same as I were they were they were on equal footing I mean whether it be uh you know D- Doug Flynn whether it be Tom Hume whether it be uh you know whoever it was it really didn't dis- didn't matter. They're all special and they were really needed. I mean, we had to have them to win. And that's why a lot of times choices were made. Sparky would call us in, Pete, Joe, Tony, myself, or he'd call us in individually and say, hey, does this guy fit? Does this guy fit? And it was important that we all came together. And uh, you know, today I still stay in touch. I love each one of them. Uh, they were special people and they helped make my life and my career. It made, made going to the park so much easier. And I, I certainly wasn't better than they were.
1: I want to go back to you growing up. And you talked about growing up in a small town in Oklahoma. What, what was life like in the bench family day in and day out?
3: Well, uh, six years old, I started pulling cotton, uh, chopping cotton, hoeing peanuts. Uh, then uh, then it, as I progressed, I uh, started mowing yards. I had the paper route. We'd go to the ballpark, play home run derby. In the backyard over at Dean Cranes, we'd play tin can. We had an old mill nut can. It was about, you know, a mill nut can and you'd open it with a church key and you could take a bath and you'd slice it in half and you could hit the can. And it would go a certain distance. If it went a certain distance, it was a single, a little farther, a double, triple home run. If you hit it inside the shed, it was a grand slam home run. So, uh, you know, by the time you hit that can a few times, that's where I think I got the really learning how to hit because we were throwing sliders and curveballs and screwballs even before those things were invented. And so we were having to do it. And the great thing was my brothers and I were five and uh, brothers were five and six years older than I was, but they let me play. And, uh, you know, when I was four years old, my house didn't get a little better as I went along. And then of course, uh, we started school the first of August and then we would let out for about three weeks so we could harvest the crops. So we were out pulling cotton, combining peanuts, baling hay. And then it was a little fall baseball, then it was uh, basketball, and then it was uh, back to baseball in the spring. We just down at the ballpark playing home run derby and, and uh, hitting, I was hitting every rock out of the driveway. Dad had to, to put the gravel in twice because I hit all the rocks out of the driveway and I nailed a coffee can to the garage or to the shed and I would pitch and hit that can and I would throw balls against the propane tank I would feel it was just a great life. I I chased after it. I pursued my dream. And, you know, Tommy, at six years old, dad started the team. We rode around the back of the pickup truck with our little Levi's and t-shirts. And we would lose. We lost, you know, especially our first few games because nobody played it was the first time they'd had a team. And my dad, and my dad say, that's tomorrow. Let's go get a cheeseburger. And we kept practicing and home run derby and playing tin can. And at the end of the year, we beat a team that was undefeated and we beat them. And they were over there crying. Today, it's the parents that are over there crying. <laughs> and I looked at my dad and I said, what's wrong with them? And he said, they haven't learned to lose yet to the cheeseburger. So that was life. That was, uh, you know, at 15 years old, I started playing American Legion baseball with the 18-year-olds. And it was 20 miles away and uh, didn't have a license, but I drove the car on the back roads, got down. And, of course, I sat on the pine because they already had three. And one of the great moments of my my American Legion career was uh, Leonard uh, no Jim Burgess uh, quit because he got mad at the coach, Gentry Castleman got a foul ball broke his collarbone, Leonard Pig had three pass balls and they put me in, and we were playing against the team from Oklahoma City which featured a shortstop by the name of Bobby Mercer.
1: Wow! And I
3: hit a home I hit a home run that won the game, and then Jim Burgess decided he wanted to play again, so I was back on the pile. So.
1: Well, you that weren't on the pie call. long, Johnny. You weren't on the pie long because, I mean, what, what, a year, year and a half later, uh, you're drafted, what, I think it was 26th overall by the Cincinnati Reds. You know, but, but before I ask you that, I, because a lot of young people who watch this show, and it's nobody's fault, it was just a different world we lived in. And uh, there there weren't games to watch every single night uh if you wanted to have MLB TV or whatever it might be How, were you paying attention to baseball major league baseball at all growing up as a kid in Oklahoma well we had the game of the
3: week you know and of course my team was the Yankees because of Mickey Mantle but yeah we'd go down and uh down to Helms Grocery get a half gallon ice cream come back fill our bowls and we'd watch that game on the on the TV and you know, we got to see it once, you know, obviously once a week, maybe not even that often if we had games. So, you know, we didn't have travel ball and I, you know, today, I don't know that I would even had a chance. There's a lot of high school teams down here in this area that won't even allow you to go out for the team unless you play. So unless you go to camp or unless you go to the instructor, you got your own own teacher, you got, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's like my, like people say, well, you know, my son has a catching coach, Uh catching coach. Okay. Um, uh, Okay. So you squat down the way you can, and then you catch every ball and throw it long distances on a line, you know, line. And that's about as simple as it is. But the best story of all was the Reds had no idea who I was. The Chicago Cubs scout, a uh, guy named Billy Caps, was in love with me. And uh, he brought the supervisor down. I'd been on a we uh, went going on the senior class trip, and I hadn't played in like 10 days or two weeks, and I played, and I was one for four. And, bit with. well, Billy brought down his supervisor to watch me play, and he said, hey, uh, they got a game tomorrow night. Come back and watch. He said, no, I got to scout some other guys. And So the next night, I guess, went four for four with a couple of doubles and a couple of home runs, but they never saw. And there were winter meetings, and a guy by the name of Jim uh, McLaughlin was the minor league coordinator for the Reds, they're all sitting around because nobody knew. It was the first draft. Nobody knew what to do, how to do it. And they're sitting around and, they're, you know, they're spitting out names. And they, they said, ask Jim, so what do you think of this kid bench? Ah, we're not that high on him, he said. And he walked out the door and said, who are they talking about? Who's bench? Never heard of him. And they sent in a scout from Kansas and a scout in from Texas. Tony robello from Texas, Bob Thurman from Kansas. And they watched him play two games like the way I threw out. Through and they drafted me in the second round. And Billy kept hated that day forever. And uh, so I became a red, 17 years old, get on a plane, fly to Tampa, Florida, get off the plane, go to the ballpark, warm up, get dressed out, warm up the uh, pitcher in the bullpen on the seventh, warm up the pitcher at home plate in the eighth. I caught the ninth thing of that ball game, and the other catcher was...
1: It, you know, it, it's really unbelievable when, when, when you start putting it that specific. And your memory of things, by the way, is just you're, – you're not 80 yet, right? What are you, 70 what? <laughs> where, where are you? Where, where's your staff? Who's your best pet? Be I know, but I could go – all right, okay. So, but so your memory of this stuff is amazing.
3: I turned 75 in December. In fact, last year I asked this lady when I turned 74, do I look 74? She said, no, but you used to.
1: <laughs> i'd like to have that lady around we need some of her on this program you know is it is the story true that when ted williams first saw you play in some form or fashion that he said you were going to be a hall of famer one day is that an accurate story close
3: it's close i was in spring training we were going to do a spring training again game against the senators and roy sievers was uh on our it was very close to ted and uh so i uh, i asked if you think he'd sign a baseball for me and he said "Well, let's i'll take you over to the clubhouse so we walk over and ted's sitting there and and said uh ted this is johnny bench and he'd like to get a ball signed by you and he said i'd be happy so he wrote on the ball and i walked out and i thanked him i walked out of the uh, clubhouse and uh looked at the ball and said to johnny bench a sure hall of famer ted williams
2: or a hall wow. of famer
3: for sure you still have that ball ted williams, ted williams 69 oh yeah
1: that's yeah, that's all praise coming from that guy i mean uh, yeah you know we talked yeah, about him the other and day of
3: course you had to live up to all of that stuff and it wasn't like you weren't trying to anyway every day that you went out there
1: but, but you lived up to a Johnny in a hurry because the next season, uh, 68, it's your first full year in the big leagues. Uh, I mentioned a moment ago you win the National League Rookie of the Year, first catcher to ever do it. Uh, you also win a gold glove. And you were 20 years old. Uh, it's a stupid question to ask you, you know, can, how do you describe such a thing? But I mean heck, my my daughter is a sophomore in college and she's gonna be twenty in a year from now. And here you were at twenty doing all those things I just said. It's mind boggling.
3: It is. It really is. I mean, I yeah, I, I just I don't believe a lot of the stuff that I mean when I look back, I did I really do all that. You know, I've got a boy sixteen now and and you know, and I'm thinking next year I'm here I here he would be going off to play professional baseball, making five hundred dollars a month. And, you know, that year In 1968, I came up at the end of 67 and uh, finished the year catching every day. In fact, only a foul tip, which broke my thumb, split my thumb wide open Is you have to be a rookie the next year. I was in the lineup. I only needed a couple of bats to disqualify myself and a foul ball split my thumb. So uh, I go to spring training. I think, you know, there's a good chance I'm going to be the starting catcher, but Don Pavletic had an unbelievable spring. And he started the season and in the fifth game, he pulled a hamstring. I went into the game. I caught 154 out of 158 games. And I oh. caught 54 days in a row without a day off. And I was the last one to get off the plane. I'd been in a car wreck when I was 18, a drunk driver on the wrong side of the four lane. So I was pretty, you know, my I'm my disc are still from this day and uh, all the things that go with it. but. Here I was uh, catching every day. I mean, it was, you know, it was amazing to think back and think about, you know, I remember you doing this and I was like, oh, really? Okay. (laughs) Because my game was over. I forgot the game and uh, moved on to the the next night, which was uh, whoever was pitching was my number one job was to get him a win and help get the team a win.
1: You know, one of the things I've noticed—I touched on it a, uh, earlier on here—about guys on the bench, but 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 I've just been so fortunate to just be standing there and listening, whether it's at Reds Fest or your Hall of Fame induction. I had the chance to go to, and you and I were announcing the Reds games together back in '88, '89. But 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 I, I think it's just so fascinating to listen to the conversations you have with pitchers that you worked with, and it could have been Jim Maloney, it could have been Pedro Borbone, it could have been Gary Nolan, it could have been Jack Billingham. Uh, Sitting there and listening to a a bond that you have and had with all of those guys at 20 years old, what did it take to, to, the, 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 the confidence, is that the word? to be able to start establishing that kind of relationship with guys who had had great success already in the big leagues?
3: I, I, Tommy, I, it was, my thought Getting was to try to understand each pitcher. I think there are three types of pitchers. There's the ones you introduce yourself to every night, tell them where they are, what city they're in. There's the one you have to know all their mechanics. You have to know all of their mechanics, but you want to make sure that you understand their mechanics. You sometimes just stay back, take a breather. I would walk around. I you know, then the holes out there just to kill some time so they could take a breath, and then there were the guys you actually went out there and chewed their butt out because you they weren't doing what they needed to do and how what up to their level of capabilities, and then you had to figure out the best way you could get a win for them, and you had to build in their confidence, and and you had to be enough to do it. I mean, I, I got the name Little General when I was 20 years old, and I guess it was because I thought you were supposed to play the game one way, and that was. You're a professional on the field. You do your job. You show up on time. You know, there's so many people say, "Well, he's great in the clubhouse." Well, okay, great. What does that mean? I don't. I don't know. Are you on time? Do you not ask any specific thing for yourself? Do you not need extra special help? Do you? I want this. I want this treatment. No, I. No, we're all equal. And I wanted to do that. And and when they were there, I was I was backing them up. I I backed them up, and they knew it. I would go to the bullpen. I would try to get the best of them. I would encourage them. Um, I just felt the responsibility, and and so um, I don't know. I never I never felt like I was I was better than any of them. I always thought I, we were on equal ground, and that's the way I wanted to maintain that.
1: Okay, but the bottom line is, uh, y- you were better than all of them. You didn't think you were better than all of them, but in '70 70 and '72, you're the National League's most valuable player. Um, Both of those years, your team loses in the World Series, 70 to Baltimore, 72 to Oakland. I'm guessing that Johnny Bench would have traded in both of those MVP awards for World Series rings those two years. Is that safe to say? Well,
3: you have to remember after that 1972, after that World Series loss, I went in four days after I turned 25 and had lung surgery. They had found a spot on my lung, and they were going to have to remove it. And the operations in those days started in the center and went all the way around the back to the neck. And then they opened up you up and took out whatever part of the lung they needed to take out. Uh, So I knew at that time that, you know, my career could basically be over. Um, And I'm thinking, wow. I mean, when we got beat by the A's, I thought that was the most depressing part of it. We misjudged a couple of fly balls. We did some things that we should have won and that was that was it but the burden was on me to do that i hit the home run in the playoffs against the pirates to to tie it up and then we won it in the ninth which was still to my, this day i could even when we went back into riverfront i could hear, still hear the, the echoes reverberating off of the the stands about that particular game but i didn't know that i would ever play again i mean that was sort of the thing and then of Uh, A doctor there in Cincinnati named Lou Gonzalez wanted to try a special technique and I became the first staple surgery in America. And uh, I never had, you know, I never had the years again. I never reached that pinnacle because you start cutting bone and ribs and nerves and everything else. And then, you know, I like to say that baseball is a game of this. Now I could hit the ball out front. Now I could hit the ball here. So the reaction time changed changed. He was the same player, uh, had decent years, but, you know, when they cut you wide open and do that. So, you know, I'm like, well, my, I, my career was great, I guess, but it could have been great, greater, I suppose. So, um, to have, have Lou, um, uh, be so specialized and so innovative that he was able to do that. That I was able to come back and play, come to spring training, and then you know, you know, I hit thirty home runs or thirty some home runs, I guess, and drove in a hundred a couple of times more. But I, I, I guess it's never you know the never the same and never the same level. And uh, but it was all made up when seventy five when we when we beat the Red Sox and then to come back the next year and when and went against the Yankees.
1: The easy thing for a lot of people to say is the, the, the guy that got the Reds over the hump from losing World Series in 70 and 72 was Joe Morgan. Not necessarily. Definitely. Everybody agrees with that statement because uh, he does come over. Um, and, you know, 73, you get beat in the league championship series by the Mets. 74, don't make the playoffs at all. Uh, there was no wild card back then or the Reds would have been in there. Dodgers just had a good club. It is what it is but you agree with that statement or is there just, or is there more to it than just that statement?
3: Oh, there's a couple of other people more to that. I mean, Joe Morgan was as good as ever, ever walked on the field. Let's just get that out of the way. He could win a game in so many ways. But there was a guy named Jack Billingham who won 19 games two years in a row. And there was a center fielder that could patrol out there. And it was just amazing to watch Cesar play every day. And uh, I thought, You know no matter what i'll I'll give all the credit to joe but i'm going to never walk away from the fact that cesar geronimo and and jack billy weren't unbelievable integral parts if you can imagine being having a stalwart like jack go out on the mound win 19 games and bolster that staff and pitch long in the games and go deep and it was just a very special he was a special guy and one of those guys that you just loved from the very beginning he would come in after they got after we got out of the first inning, he'd walk in. We haven't scored yet. Come on, you know. It would be <laughs> like you know. He wouldn't be sitting in the corner doing all that stuff. Uh, they were special. Yeah, Joe. Joe obviously. Joe made you know. We were able to move you know them when that trade because Tony went over to first and then we had third baseman Dennis make. Then Pete came in to, you know and and we then we got George and George obviously was really the catalyst in so many ways. Um, to make all those things happen. But, you know, I still go everywhere, Tommy, and people say to me, I was a Cubs fan. I was a Dodgers fan, but boy, we respected you guys. Mm-hmm. And they can name the lineup. They name our lineup. And I think most people in America that knew baseball back in those days could name the lineup. It was it was a really special to have Ken Griffey. My gosh, you know what he did, and Davey. Um, I mean, you know, they say the big four, but the grade eight was as good as it ever ever walked on the field.
1: How in the world, Johnny, is Dave Concepcion not in the Hall of Fame? Well, my my
3: reasoning, or my people say, is that because the big shortstop started coming in and hitting forty home runs, you know, and and when they have a, a veterans committee and and they say we're have we overlooked anybody, and I start talking about Dave Concepcion, you know, and Ozzy's sitting there at the table with me. I said, Ozzy, if you don't come into the league, Davey wins ten gold gloves. I mean, I had one guy at the table say, oh, he was just like Larry Boa. And it was like flabbergasting. It was. It was. I mean, when you look look at the shortstop thing, but that was the time Ripken and and Rodriguez and all those guys were coming in. They're in 40 home runs. And all of a sudden, Davey doesn't look like, well, he's not that good. He can't be that great because he didn't hit 40 home runs. And he's batting eighth. He's batting seventh. He's driving in runs. He's hitting home runs. He's stealing bases. I don't. I'll compare him with all with how many shortstops you want in the Hall of Fame right now. I'll put him up against him right now. I I, he's just he was just that special.
1: Um, in those two World Series you mentioned, '75 and '76, uh, there are these two guys, Carlton Fisk and Thurman Munson, who American League fans are saying, you know, this is the guy or these are the guys that are the next Johnny Bench. Was there any sort of competition for you personally? I mean, I know you put the team first, but when you went head-to-head with the Red Sox and Fisk, with the Yankees and Munson, was that a little extra kick in the tail for you in any form or fashion? No. No. Come on. Come on. It wasn't.
3: It wasn't. My job every day was to go out there and be the same Johnny bench no matter who and what and when and where. You know, I, my old roommate was Pat Corrales. We'd go out and take uh, infield. Come on, come on, roomie. He was my roommate. He said, come on, roomie. There will come out to what you throw. And that was the job every day. That was nothing more than that. I admired those guys I, to no end. And was it a competition? I couldn't pitch against them. You know, could I try to get them out? Yes. Didn't get Munson out very much, but Fisk and his longevity and his Numbers he put, I just think he's about as good a top two or three as there ever was to play the game of baseball. And and Thurman, unfortunately, you know, with not, not the tools, with not the talent that he, you know, some some were graced with they have the strongest arm or you know the home run power. He put numbers up. He learned quick release. He learned transfers. He learned all that stuff. And every time we saw each other, it was a big hug because we really admired each other. And that's that's the only thing, believe me. Was I jealous of anybody? Uh, no, no, I mean, you know, in the eighth grade, there was a book I read. If you compare yourself with others, you're gonna come short a lot of the times. So why, why do you compare yourself? Go out and do your job. The only person I had to compete against was that pitcher or that base runner who I just thrived on throwing out and wanted to. That was the only one. I mean, if you want to say I was against, I was against somebody. I was, against, I was against Blue Brock. I was against More Wills. I was against Lopes. I was Mickey Rivers. That was the only challenge I had. Plus, going up to the plate every every at bat and trying to drive in, drive in the run.
1: I'm kind of curious. It just sparks this this question by What you just said about you know guys getting on first base, and, and obviously you want your pitcher to get everybody out. But would there be times, and and depending on the situation of the game, obviously, you know, a nine-run spread is very different than a tie game or a one-run spread. But were there times where you kind of hoped when you're sitting there and, and Maury Wills or Lou Brock or uh, some of those guys with the Pirates that could run like crazy, uh, that they would come to the plate and you'd say, man, I hope this guy gets on first because I'd love the chance to see if I can throw this guy out. Well, I didn't want
3: him on base, but if they were going on base, then that's when it all started. I remember Lou Brock the first time he came to town and I'm a cocky kid. You know, I'm, I you know, Luke, I'm thinking here, all well, the Cardinals are coming down, to Lou Brock. I said, and you know, I said, I wonder if Lou's heard of me, you know, <laughs> I, okay, Lou. so he comes up and he said, how you doing kid? And I said, maybe he has heard of me. Oh boy. That's just good. So I'm thinking and now I'm thinking to get, get a hit, get on. Let's just get it on. Let's get it on. And he hits a double. Oh, wait a minute. He's getting a big lead off second. Uh-uh, maybe he hadn't heard of me. What's this next time? And he's leaning, you know, he's leaning towards third. And I think he does that again. I'll pick his ass off right now. <laughs> so I put the little pickoff play with Helms on and the, he took that little lean and I came up and I threw a rocket down the second and he went to third. Just trotted over to third he <laughs> looked at me like, you dumb rookie. You dumb rookie. Oh my gosh! You got him it, sooner it was, or
1: later, so though. I mean, you got him sooner or later.
3: Well, he, you know, he told me at the Hall of Fame. He says, you know, you threw me out three times in one game. He said, you know what I said when I came up the fourth time, and I said, knowing you, Lou, you said if I get on, I'm going again. That's exactly what I said. Now, one of the great things about Lou was Lou came this we came into St. Louis. Louis had Lou had 32 stolen bases in a row, and we had a, we had a pitcher named Jack Fisher. We called him Fat Jack. And he had kind of a belly, so he'd he'd hold his glove like this in the stretch. Never looked like he was, you know, quick at all to home plate. But he came, threw it to home. Lou took off. I threw it down. Lou hadn't got to the cutout. Hadn't got to the cutout when the ball got there, and he stopped and just looked around at me. Now we had a we had a rule, a fifty dollars. A frat night, Dave Bristle, you didn't talk to anybody on the other team, no matter what. You didn't even act like you were looking at the guy, or it was $50. So now after the game, I'm sitting in my locker, which is right next to Dave's office. And I'm putting, taking off my sweats and taking off my shirt, and the, the shopping cart pulls up. So I think, okay, I'll get in there. When I start to dump it in, here's Lou pushing the grocery cart in uniform in our locker room. Now I think this, there goes my there goes my salary. (laughs) And he looked down at me, he said, look, next time, kid, make it look close. (laughs) And strolled out. It was one of my great moments showed me what what sometimes baseball and being against players and there, you know, there's a lot of good people out there.
1: Boy, that is a great story. I've never heard that story before. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, The Big Red Machine comes to an end. Did that have to happen?
3: Well, you know, when you get to be an age back in those days, you start turning 33, 34, you know, you pretty much, you know, everybody figured that you didn't have much longer to go. And, and that's when, you know, they traded Tony and that's when I cried. And because I knew how important he was to, to us. And was changing a little bit. And, and it was like, uh, but it just took the heart and soul out of us. We were, uh, we were Tony Perez in so many ways. He was the embodiment of all of us. And he was there no matter what. He was over for 4 or 4 for 4. He was the same person. He was there, you know, little rumors with Pete and Joe and start them squabbling. And we had fun and we had to deal. And so he was always the one guy, the one neutral guy that could, could make everybody laugh, could everybody together and was the competitor to no end. I mean, he. 11 years in a row, he had uh, 90 RBIs and I I'll brag on myself a little bit here. And in, in the last year he had 10, 90 RBI seasons. It was the last game of the year and he had 89 and I was batting in front of him. And I came up the man on third and less than two outs. And I, I just, I took everything I could to take, I finally got a walk. And Tony came up and drove in the 90th run. And I walk out of the clubhouse and Patuka was standing there. She said, I know what you did. I know what you did. (laughs) And that meant more to me than almost anything could mean because that was kind of a, that's so neat. I mean, and it's just what Tony was, an RBI machine, but you know, 10 years, why not make it 11? Why do I, I, I could drive him in, but. Now, I had a guy I could drive men to. Actually, this picture was a pretty good patsy, so, but I won't get on. I, w- I didn't want to drive in that run, mm-hmm. and uh, that meant so much to me because that's the type of person he was. So, the big red machine, you know, kind of faded when Tony left, and then it was just a matter of, you know, here and there and piecemeal, and then Don Gullick went as free agent, which... Uh, which didn't really replace Donnie. He was about as good as a competitor as I've ever had, mm-hmm. best athlete I've ever seen. And so, yeah, we uh, I guess we got Seaver and we, we made a run t- you know, and then we had the strike and we won more games, but we didn't get in the playoffs. And and then we just uh, by that time, uh, it was a cost-cutting thing, you know, uh, to try to get rid of some people and try to make a team. But they certainly weren't, you know. The, the Pete Roses and the Cesar and George and all of those guys and then you know Tony and when and, uh, I mean, Joe and Pete left uh, there was uh, I mean how do you replace those you can't yeah. it's impossible no
1: um, your last three seasons uh, y- 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 you come off the plate you start playing some infield and and, and all that kind of thing Um was that a conversation you had to have with the manager or with the organization? Did they come to you? How did that whole thing come about, Johnny, where all of a sudden, you know, one night Johnny Bench is not going to be behind the plate. He's going to be somewhere, anywhere else. Well,
3: I caught 13. 13 consecutive years with 100 games or more behind the plate. And if you'll remember, I talked about the car wreck back when I was 1966 yep. 19- old. My ulnar nerve was so bad that, it was like somebody stick a knife into, into my arm every time I threw to a second. My back, I had five bad discs. I had two herniated discs in my neck at that time. Nobody knew that. I, uh, I just couldn't take the wear and tear. I mean, I, I, I knew I could play first base and I could produce. And it was, you know, it had to be time that at least I wanted to produce and get away from the rigors of catching every day. And, but I, my back was so bad. My elbow was so bad. And it just, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't perform. And, and that's what got me retired was I, you know, I Johnny Bench anymore. And there's a level of standard of level that you have to play. I walked away from my two more years of big money for back in those days. And it was, uh, but I felt like I was cheating on, I was working for fifth third at the time I was going to do the broadcasting for the Reds. And it wasn't so much, I mean, obviously not nearly the money. But it wasn't that important. It was the fact that I couldn't be Johnny Bench anymore. And uh, in fact, John Elway called me one time. He said, "How do you know when to retire?" And I said, "When you can't be John Elway anymore." And he said, "Well, I got three hundred pound linemen, and I'm in the best shape of my life, chasing me down." And I said, "Yeah, but you're still John Elway." And I couldn't do what Johnny Bench was supposed to do. And we were—we had no—we really didn't have a future. We were going to lose a hundred games, and that's not what you know was good for me or the organization. And there was just not a way to, to rationalize. I I was 35. I wanted to be able to play golf. I wanted to be able to walk when I was 50, these other catchers that were broke down already having knee replacements and everything else that were crippled basically because of staying out there way past their due. And it was just a matter of making the right decision for Johnny and health and, and and my future.
1: One of the most incredible moments, uh, certainly in reds history. Uh, and I mean, you can talk about the World Series titles and all those things, and it, it, I get it. But the one incredible night is September the seventeenth of nineteen eighty-three. It's Johnny Bench night. Huge crowd. Uh, you've already announced that you're you're going to be retiring, and you hit your three hundred and eighty-ninth career home run, your final career home run. What 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 do you remember about that night? And that moment when that ball cleared the wall? Well, that was
3: my night, Tom. For the first time, it was all about me. I walked up, it was me. I, I it was the team, we weren't gonna win, we weren't gonna do it, but it wasn't so much, it was about me. And I thought I'm thinking, Wow and so I I'm gonna ask, I said, Are we gonna have a good crowd? And they said, Yeah, we think we'll have thirty or thirty five. And when I walked out from that wall with 44,000 people and the largest crowd in a weekday in the history of the stadium. And it was, uh, it was sheer pleasure. It was just something that, you know what, you've earned this. And because you played your heart out, everything you had to baseball and to Cincinnati and to the uniform, and you've earned this. And... Uh, everybody was sky high, uh, Mike Madden. I sort of had read him, you know, what was, you know, his glove and everything else. And I was, so I kind of looked for, and, uh, it was an out-of-body experience after that. I can still remember the crowd. I can still remember tears in so many people's eyes. I can still hear Joe More, Joe uh, nuxall's voice. With tears in his eyes, I mean, you could hear the hear the tears as he was announcing it. And can you believe it? And it was like how, it was everything. It was it was a culmination of a really very satisfying career, and one that I felt people came out to to honor. And I don't think there's any greater thing. You know, I, when I talk, I talk about the fact that you cannot hold your happiness in the hands of others. You cannot wait for them to applaud just to give you validation. Every day you're out there, you have to do your job without the rewards, without somebody saying it. I've, I've hit two home runs in a game, and went out after the game and I run it. I hit two home runs, drove in five runs. I go out and see people and they say, hey, I saw you pop up and strike out. I mean, that's the thing <laughs> that, you know, that happens in your career, you know, I mean, you're booed, you're done, you're everything else. Uh, but that was the validation of it. And it it just meant everything in the world to me. That was the most special moment ever in my career uh, of playing the game of baseball. Uh, individually, the best thing ever was uh, walking into the clubhouse in 75 and seeing 25 players that were world champions, the coaches, the trainers, the equipment. Bernie's standing there, the sponsors, the owners and the joy that it brought to everyone. And you can never replace that. You can never understand, you know, sometimes the fan that is so fanatic that that's they're consumed by it. And you never see that or you never feel that. And how about the World Series? You really guys must love the World Series. World Series is the hardest thing to play because you had every family member needed a ticket. You had to find rooms for them. You had to travel. You had to do all the stuff and get it done. And they're out there having parades and having restaurants <laughs> and drinking and doing all the stuff, and they're having the time of their life, and we're out there figuring out a way to win four games. Uh, you're matching up against one, another great team, and that when 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 I saw the joy, and I, you know, I can still see Alex Gramas and Sugar Bear and uh, and Ted and Larry, and I mean it was just, you know, and Sparky, and when I hit that home run in in the fourth game at the Yankees and Sparky said, I got one, I got to tell you one thing, Sugar Bear, we're going to be world champions again. (laughs) That, it was everything. You know, that's, that's when you realize how important things are in your life. But for one night, that was Johnny Bench night.
1: I want to get away from, from baseball for a minute and, and, and ask you about some of the people that you had a chance to meet and spend a lot of time around that were outside of baseball. Uh, For our generation, there aren't a ton of people, not you and me, but this younger generation, they don't know Bob Hope. Bob Hope was larger than life. Maybe the most well-known outside of Muhammad Ali. I think you could probably make the argument. Maybe the (laughs) most well-known American, right, on the planet. You had a chance to spend a lot of time with him. Went to Vietnam with him. Um, Bobby Knight, who you befriended and have stayed close with. You were there when he won a national championship, running off the floor with him. You name your son Bobby Banger Bench, your oldest son. Uh, Bobby for Bob Hope and Bobby Knight and and and, and uh, Banger, obviously, your hometown. A guy like Bobby Knight, there's no way he would be hired in this day and age. What does that say about our society today?
3: Uh, that we have very sensitive to- Sensitive kids who just want a participation uh, medal, and that they need to be pampered and coddled, and they don't want to hear their faults, and uh, they've been pampered all their lives. And you know, Bob was uh, Bobby was just one of those guys that taught discipline, taught baseball, taught fundamentals, and demanded respect and van- demanded everyone to play at the same level and do everything that he wanted them to do. Uh, it just is part of our society because we are a woke society in so many ways. You know, we uh, wait for the handout. We wait for somebody to do it for us. Um, and so Bobby and I, you know, we've golfed, we've fished. I went to the Olympic games with him, Bob Hope. I traveled for the USO trip and we talked every week. I've been to uh, Frank Sinatra's house for Christmas Eve dinner. I've been to the White House for state dinners. I've been to, you know, and you could, you know, people start talking. I thought all of a sudden I said, yeah, that's right. I met Randolph Scott. And then Jonathan Winters was a good friend. And then, yeah, I did, uh, I hosted Muhammad Ali's birthday party. And then I, and I guess, you know, I, I have done a lot of things. Maybe, yeah, I have done things. I had my own TV show. My first guests were Bob Hope and Willie Mays. You know, I had country artists. I had, I'd emceed the uh, Oklahoma Centennial. I'm sitting on the bus with Reba McIntyre and Toby Keith and Garth Brooks and Vince Gill and, you know, just some of the guys just hanging out from Oklahoma. Nobody's special there. I remember those names, Tommy, but I, uh, I've done it, you know, and, but it's, and then I, uh, I got to be a father three and a half years of the boys on my own 24 seven, just finished making waffles as we, uh, go through this hurricane. Uh, waffles and uh, I'll go to the grocery store if I get a chance and get some more milk. And uh, then I'm going to go fishing in Wichita. Heck my dad
1: life. my dad was just on a little while ago, and and I asked him, I said, you know, I said if there was something that, that maybe you've never heard Johnny Bench asked about uh, or maybe something that, that my dad was curious about, uh, what would you ask him about? And, and he said to me, and, and, and I had already had this down, but, but, but I think it's, I, you know, my dad had made the comment. He said, look, as a player, at his position, the greatest player, without a doubt, he's ever seen in any sport. That includes the greatest quarterback, you know, greatest uh, basketball player, point guard, whatever it might be. He said, number two, the flair for the dramatic, when it meant the most, nobody was better than Johnny Bench. He said, but the thing that I'm the most interested in and the most proud of with Johnny Bench, because you guys have known each other through thick and thin for a long time. Um, he said, I'm amazed what he's doing with, uh, with these two boys, Justin and Joshua. Um, w- that, 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 that you are raising these two boys and have been for a long, long time, virtually, uh, by yourself, as a 70-something-year-old father. What, what have you learned from them? Because look, I, my, my kids, I still have a senior in high school, then it's empty nester, man, and, and I, 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 I get sad, I almost wanna cry thinking about it every single day. Here you are still going strong and raising these, the, these boys and you're you know 15 years older than I am. Um, what, what have you learned from them? that you never learned from teammates or Bob Hope or, or Muhammad Ali or, or anybody else?
3: <laughs> this, is a, this is the way, you know, you, you grow up, you play baseball, you have a life, you have a responsibility. Responsibility is what you do. Uh, there's a thing I had called inner conceit. I was better than the situation. I could match up. I was better than that person out there at some point. I wasn't better than that that, that pitcher. There's a responsibility that you have to have every time to the team, to that position, to your fans, to everybody you have. The responsibility is that you have to take care of these boys as best you can. And you're, your. sometimes you have to be your own critic. And there's times when I want them, can I turn them loose next year after his senior year, can he, can he survive? Have I done a good enough job? And I find myself falling short sometimes the responsibility sometimes because I probably looked after them a little too closely and let them have you know more of their more their own ways. I uh it's 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 something that no matter if you're pulling cotton you got to do the best job. If you're combining peanuts you got to do the best job. If you're catching you do the best job. If you're broadcasting you try to do the very best job. If you're going to be a father, why not be the best? You know, the there I I have my, uh, my vows of success, the A-E-I-O-U's of life. The A is an attitude and I have it every day. How you doing? I'm awesome. And you try saying that and you find out you are awesome. E is an effort for excellence. Why not be the best? So why not be the best at everything you do, whether it be a father, whether it be baseball or whether you played golf. I played golf professionally, so I bowled professionally. I did things professionally. I did what I did, but it's, it's the, it's what's there at the time that you're responsible for and you have to do it every day. Oh, it was an opportunity, it was given to me and now I've got to do it. You is using people, using knowledge, using friends, using things that you can garner and be better at every day to study the way we are and we study uh, neuro-visual stuff and to be better at that. You is using those people to every chance and learn more every day. I'm just a high school graduate and I try to learn something every day, but you is sometimes why, which means you are important and never, never really think that you're not. And you set your goal every day to, you know, and you achieve it and you don't wait for somebody to say, nice going, Johnny, you did a great job. No, that's you're your own critic. And when you do that, go do something for yourself. I don't care if you sit in a bubble bath, I don't care if you go fishing, I don't care what it is, but every now and then you got to tell yourself that you are good and you've done a good job and never be satisfied that it can't be better. And so my job every day is to be better. And to go out there and you know, you know, make sure that they're up to up to snuff as best I can, and I fall short. I do fall short, and I understand that. So I have to be better
1: every day. Um, you know, it's fun. I I didn't get married uh, till uh, compared to most anyway, till a little bit later on in life, thirty seven, thirty eight. Didn't have our first child till I was forty, and when I started coaching, uh, both my daughter and my son. Uh, in basketball, coach my son in baseball. Such a great baseball coach that now he's a big lacrosse star. And all the guys that played on his baseball team, they are all lacrosse players now. So I, I did a hell of a job. But
3: well, why why wouldn't you? I mean, you think about it. You hit a ground <laughs> ball to a kid, hits him on the shin. You hit a pop fly, hits him in the head. You throw a pitch to him and he swings and misses. Or hey, how about if we give you a uniform, put some pads on you and a mask, and give you a stick and go out and hit people and run all you want? Hey, yeah, for that.
1: I mean, that's the biggest challenge, right, baseball's facing right now. I mean, for the kids out there and the way they're built in this day and age, and look, ultimately it's our fault for putting them in that situation in many, many ways. But, 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 Johnny, baseball, I got to tell you. Now, I live in a little area, and it's a public high school, and, and lacrosse has been the thing just because two guys started it 35 years ago, and you're winning state championships, and everybody wants to be a part of that. But, but I look around – I'm worried about baseball. Are you worried about it? No, we have got the Latin. We got
3: the Latin. You know, I mean, they're 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 committed to it. They would they love it. And my gosh, why shouldn't we enjoy it and throw? Yeah, I would like to see these kids down here, but there we've we've made it such a challenge. And when we get kids out there to play, and immediately they got to go to a travel team, and then they got to go, and if they're not on a travel team, they're not good enough to play. And so you never get a kid that's you know. That starts out and Trump is a walk-on ever gets a chance, and so you, and right away you already you already know that you're you're not going to make it. I mean, you've already told the kid, no, you can't make it because you're not good enough to be on this travel team. So you're not good enough, and so what are they going to do? They're going to go to lacrosse, go to soccer. They're going to do sports, and we love every second of it. My son's playing soccer, and I love the games. And he's playing tennis, and I love to watch him play. And you know, he got hit by a pitch, got hit by a thrown pitch in the eye and he's he got gun shy do Mm -hmm. i want him to be that wish i wish i could yeah i wish i could put up you know magic and make it happen but the drive has to be there and so many kids just don't have it it i t they don't have it or the desire and uh when they don't have it you know you just can't you can't make them you can't coach them to have it you gotta have it no no the tendency isn't of course don't let them out. You know, they got to be under supervision because we don't let them go across the street and play and have a good time and learn how to throw and learn how to hit. And No, because we can't leave them out there on the field by themselves. Uh-uh, that's too dangerous.
1: What, what, what's the future look like if you had a crystal ball, Johnny? I mean, you still got the boys at home. Not all that much longer. Uh, good Lord willing, they're off and, and doing their thing and, and, and going where they want to go and accomplishing the things they want to accomplish. You're still healthy. You're fit. Obviously, very sharp mind. Um, what what do you want to do? Well, I'm out, I've i got to put an ad out uh, for looking for someone
3: in a couple of tours to come and wipe my drool and push my wheelchair. I just, I'm, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm going to
1: come what may. I'll you take know, that I, job. I mean, I, I if you remember, I mean, I tell people all the time. I was at the 1989 <laughs> World Series when the earthquake happened. And they're like, what the hell were you doing there? I'm like, well, look. I'm like, I'm a single guy. I'm announcing the games with Johnny Bench. He asked me, he says, hey, what are you doing in October? I said, I'm not doing anything. He said, you got any vacation time? I'm like, yeah, I got a lot of vacation time. He says, well, look, I'm announcing the World Series for CBS Radio. I need to get my wife to the ballpark every day. If I pay for you to come out there and, you know, that kind of thing and put you up in somewhere to stay, would you mind getting her to the ballpark every day? I said, are you kidding me? So if you need somebody to push your wheelchair around, (laughs) brother, I'm out of a job. I'm happy to come down there to Florida.
3: Well there's certain qualifications you don't have okay
1: <laughs> I'm sure there are yes very very many of them. I get it I get it <laughs>
3: I just I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go fishing and I'm gonna go uh, enjoy some things and everything else and may want to travel a little bit more. I don't play golf anymore the warranty ran out on all my parts and I, and uh, I, my, my knees are still special and perfect and have no problems with them and I just you know I don't know. I've got, I've got a year and a half to, Well, I've, i got an eighth grader. I got four or five years. Yeah. To responsibility and, and it's all part of it. So I'm just going to enjoy the hell out of it. I've got so many wonderful friends I've met down here. We've got groups. We in business, we're talking about business. We're talking things. I'm still learning, you know, I'm, uh, you know, health is uh, always a day to day thing. You never know what's going to happen to you. You come up with eight and all of us start beating a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, I'm I'm ready for it today and I'll do the best job I can. And then, you know, tomorrow I'll be ready for that, too.
1: Are you going through this college application <clears throat> thing yet? Have you hit this yet?
3: We're uh, we're looking at, uh, you know, trying to get some ideas now. We'll start doing uh-huh. a little bit of traveling and he's not real sure. And I'm not real sure he's capable right now to. Survive on his own. You know how a father might think about that about his child, and they yep. second guessing whether he can do it. And now my eighth grader, I may just send him away a few years early with Justin, and just let him take care of him because right now he's he's going to run the company and do all the stuff. He's he's buying stuff for four dollars and selling it for fifteen, and I, you know he's already my entrepreneur. Oh, yeah. So yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, he's
3: got it all figured out. But that's a, that's a job. That's a challenge I have for the next year and a half is to is to. I'll try to get it, and maybe at the same time, get myself prepared. I see you've closed the book on me. You've all your notes are gone. No,
1: you know, because I think sometimes, you you know, you sit down to do these interviews and you've been interviewed a billion times, you know, you, you sit down there and, 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 and you sit at home last night and, 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 and literally, I mean, I've got you know pages of stuff here to ask you about, but I, you know, you're one of the few people and I don't say this cause you're on now. I, I, I just think there's so many interesting hearts to Johnny Bench that I'm not so sure. And I'm curious if you agree with this. I'm not so sure Cincinnati really ever got to know Johnny Bench. Do you think that's fair? Because I, I don't know you well, but I've just been really lucky to be around you a lot, whether it, 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 the, the couple of years we spent announcing the games, the different events that I've referred to earlier where you've been there, and I've just sat back and watched you and listened to you and people who, who are in that inner circle and are or were close to you the Dennis Jansons the Pat Berries you know all those guys and and I just feel like there's a there's a part of of Cincinnatians that don't know Johnny Bench is that a fair assessment well i mean Tommy me, look
3: I was chasing the girls I was getting married I was getting divorced I was doing stuff and then Pete came you know Pete's situation came along that was the year that and i sort of stood up and said, well, the rules are the rules, and I became absolutely a villain in Cincinnati. I mean, you know, it didn't matter who it was, every broadcaster, everybody, you know, even, you know, uh, from Bob Trumpy to Seg or whoever thought that, you know, and these guys thought that, you know, well, I was wrong because I was not backing him up, and I was like, this is the way it was. I mean, you know, Mrs. Tate in the eighth grade said, you make your own bed, you got to sleep in it, and and it was not my idea. I, well, I wasn't making the decision being made by baseball and it was like but yet I said you know well if he broke the rules no he can't be in the hall of fame well that in itself was so for many many years you know and Cincinnati's not a town that in you know wraps its arms around athletes I mean name me name me go ahead and name the athletes that are still in Cincinnati okay you got Munoz
1: Yeah. Yeah. You got a few of the football players that weren't known. like How old old
3: are they? How old are they? What are they doing? Yeah. How successful are they? Yeah. Are they in business? I've got George Brett in Kansas city that owns apartments and owners and everything else. And everybody's trying to help him. And I asked one of our owners to come down, not to help me because I had my own investments. I had high owner, I had Ruben Katz and I had people backing me up and Mark Janke. And I asked him to come down to maybe talk to the other players about how to save their money, what to do, how to invest never saw them you know it's just that athletes have really never had you know it's business cincinnati is a business town and i probably you know push you know put my arm out away from a lot of it and everything else and you know my the greatest relationship of course was fifth third for 37 years i was their spokesman and you know 29 years of record earnings which i'm proud of because they believed in me and that and and that was the thing but you know, there's there's just sometimes, you know, even your dad, you know, your dad when he was being inducted in the Hall of Fame, they'd come to me and said, Marty's going to talk about Pete, talk to him. And it's Joe telling me, Joe, and, the, and he's the vice chairman and the chairman. And they're saying, talk to Pete, talk to talk to Marty and tell him not to do it. So here I was telling Marty not to do it. And then just the day before, just that morning of, they come to me again, Johnny, you have to talk to him. You have to talk to him, and I'm like Joe. Why don't you talk to him? No, you can talk to him. So I, I tell Marty, and it was it was that it was one of the worst days because I ruined his day. And I, and it wasn't that I whether he needed to talk about Pete or whatever, but it caused a split between us, which was you know carries you know which carried on, and you know, uh, you know Marty obviously stands is one of the greatest of baseball at all time. And yet it was one simple thing that I was doing for somebody else to say, don't do it. You know, don't bring in something outside of what you are and what you've accomplished. And you know, you know your dad. He's mm-hmm. he wants he wants to pontificate. if he did, was it going to make an effect to the baseball hall of fame and was Pete going to be in because Marty Brenneman said he should be in? No, it, it wasn't going to happen. Marty, just do your do your speech about how proud you are and about all the people that gave you that right and everything else. And, you know, it between us, you know, and, you know, I went over to see him when we were at the Field of Dreams, I made the effort to go see him. And because I cared, I cared what it was going to do to Marty, but that wasn't, you know, what happened. So there's, you know, there's always little things that trickle down from that. Sides that happen and you talk to people and people hear what you I, they have to say about me and because I'm this or I'm that. And so, you know, it uh, it's very disheartening in so many ways. You know, you're trying to do the best for what's best and you try to carry on for what's best for the Hall of Fame at that. And so, you know, to not know me Uh, that's that's all right. I got my friends. I got my number of people that I've always stayed by and I'll stay by forever. They can always rely on me. I can pick up the phone right now from here to California and I can go see my friends and be my people and I can walk and one of the great things I got coming up, I don't know if you, they're going to commission a a new battleship called the uh, SS Cooperstown, USS Cooperstown, which I'm going to, uh, I'm going to be the spokesman of. So I've got some things ahead of me. I still got some things working.
1: You'll always have things working, JB. You'll always have things I'll working, that. man. That's who you are, brother. That's who you <laughs> are.
3: You'll always have something but working. I'm a friend. I'm a friend. That's what I am.
1: Yeah. You are. And and I can't, you know, look, I I can't thank you enough for, for helping me, man, because I, I I've said fifty thousand times. You know, when, when, when I got that opportunity just because of a series of events that happened and I get that chance to broadcast a handful of games one year and then you're my partner the next year in my first full year getting a chance to broadcast games in the late eighties and we travel around and, and everywhere we went you were Johnny Bench and I'm just some guy trying to hang around and learn his way and and you were always so gracious and, and um and 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 helpful and learned so much and I'm just so indebted uh, and he no, indebted you Tommy, come on you the air talent. for this. Well, That's look, you look, you, hey, you look, you know as well as I do. You can have all the talent in the world. You know, it, it's like when you brought up earlier about being the youngest kid in your family, and then and then about your youngest son. You know, I had a coach tell me a number of years ago, uh, said, "Look, you come line up all these kids that are trying out for any sport there is. The only question that I need to know, without watching any of them play." He said, give me a show of hands who's the youngest kid in your family. He said, the second that hand goes up, I say, that's a guy I want on my team right now because <laughs> they're going to have something nobody else has. And, uh, and, and even now, here you are and, and doing this as we're trying to get this thing going. This has been fantastic. Our, our reception here, just looking at, at uh, YouTube, has just been unbelievable. They said, uh, the best guest by far of anybody we've had, People, uh, Jordan says, "What a great down-to-earth guy! Uh, love Johnny Bench. Um, great stuff." So, um, JB, thank you. God bless you. Always, always. Glad, uh, glad
3: you got it. Glad you're off the bench. Get your ass off the bench for a while. Will you?
1: <laughs> <laughs> My ass is off the bench.
3: <laughs> what? It, what? That was, well, I can't remember verbatim what Bobby Knight said, but you know, when somebody's not right, you know, butt on the bench, butt, butt meets bench, bench stays on bench. You've got to get your butt <laughs> off the bench if you want to do it, then you're doing it. And I, hope, right. it, I hope it turns out well for you because I'm pulling for you. And, you know, usually right now in today's society, you, I, I think you have to either rob a bank or shoot somebody or get caught in a drug sting to get your name in the papers anymore. So you make one little faux pas and you say something, you loose lips sink ships. And these people, I don't know what the, you know, what their problem is, but they've got their own. I mean, if they open up their little attic and start looking through their, their closets, you're going to find a lot of people in what, and yet we've had other people get jobs uh, for a lot, you know, a lot worse <laughs> that did a whole bunch of lot of stuff. So that's what I don't understand about society. You should have your chance. I'm for you. Uh, especially when I have to listen to this well, I listen on mute, so I don't know what the hell the games are about, but...
1: <laughs> I appreciate it. JB, all the best, my man. Take care of yourself my best. and your boys. All right, man, be good. Thanks. Thank the, you, sir. The, the great right. Johnny Bench, the great Johnny Bench, and that's the great Johnny Bench on the field and off the field. Uh, I can't tell you what it was like traveling around with that guy um, when I was 20... What was I? 24, uh, something like that. Traveling around the United States. God, it's hard to believe, man. It's thirty-four years ago, but 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 traveling around the United States with that guy, I mean, you, you go rolling into New York City, it's like being with Mick Jagger. Um, you go rolling into Los Angeles and Dodger Stadium, and here comes Johnny Bench walking by, coat and tie, doing the broadcast. <laughs> he walked faster than any human being I've ever met. We called it the Johnny Bench Shuffle. Because when that guy, it was time to get somewhere, that guy could walk. And he was full steam ahead. I'm just trying to, you know, carry his bags behind him and was happy to be there to do it. And uh, we thank him for being here today. We're going to tie a ribbon around this show. Um, Tomorrow, we – we're hoping to have back. Uh, we, we know we have Tracy Jones tomorrow. Uh, I got to touch base again. Was going back and forth with James Rapine with a big Bengals game coming up tomorrow night, uh, and we'll tell you more about tomorrow when we come back off well, the bench. Presented by United Dairy Farmers.
2: Tom, we can't take a break. because Casey left me? I don't know how to do a break. You're kidding. No, Casey left me. So we're. What the hell is uh, he doing? He, they're going down to set up for our big high school game. I know how to s- turn my mic on. I know how to switch the cameras. Okay. We, we, we had to do our cherry on top. Do we have a cherry on top? We do. I got, got, we talked about it earlier. It's okay. the uh, the big video from 13 years ago or 12 years ago.
1: Okay. Well, d- real quick, though, a couple of comments made by some of our, our viewers, and we thank you so much. And we invite you to go to, um, you know, uh, sub- be a subscriber if you're watching on YouTube. Um, and, and you know, the, the notification stuff like this, when we post on social media and on Facebook about some of the clips. Uh, that you might want to link up to in case there's something you missed. Uh, Johnny Bench is my hero. Um, Jordan said, thanks, guys. Great interview. Dustin says, wow, that was unbelievable. Got to have Johnny back. Inspiring generation still to this day. Um, I didn't get to some of your questions about, um, you know, his country singing. Um, Lure Up, of course, that's Casey's dad's company fondest memory of him is climbing up the backstop to catch a foul ball. Boy, was he some kind of player. Some kind of player. Uh, 6'4", 12 Mars JB's my hero since 1969. So. Uh, anything on your plate Brandon before we uh, tie a ribbon around this whole show today? To oh, as you can tell, I'm a rookie. I started to go right. To- All right, well, let's go to it. This is our cherry on top 15 years ago today, right? Boy, you really stick at math. All right, I could do 22 and, and 10, for God's sakes. All right, 2010, here you go. 74 average. Jay Bruce taking in to start tonight. High drive. Left center field. Racing back to the wall. Bourgeois. The Reds are National League Central Division champions. Well, that was a fun night. That was a really fun night.
2: That, that's, that's one of my... Were you about 10 years old? I was No, I think I was in 2010. I would have been senior in high school. Okay. So, LaSalle. LaSalle. Lancer. Good Lancers, baby.
1: Um, you know, that's another guy. And I asked Johnny near the end of that interview uh, about the town never really getting him to know him. I find that to be such an interesting answer that he gave about Cincinnati being a business town and never really wrap their arms around athletes um, the way that uh, some other cities do. And, you know, when, when he starts mentioning a couple of names, which he did, George Brett comes to mind, I, and he said it. Um, you go back to Kansas City, and you can't turn around without seeing something with George Brett involved in it. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have anybody like that here in Cincinnati. Now, Pete could have been that guy. Right. Right. But, but but for all the, you know, the gambling mess and suspensions and so on and so forth. Um, but, you know, when he just asked that question, it's a really, really interesting question. Because there really isn't one.
2: No, I think, I think uh, you know, Chris Collinsworth still lives here. So he does a lot, obviously, with Western and Southern and some of the local companies. Anthony Munoz has his foundation. But you're right. There, or he was right. There's not a lot. There's not a ton.
1: No, and, and, and I mean, those guys, though, are a little bit... I think most people look at Anthony Munoz and a man of incredible faith who has spent most of his time since getting away from football in trying to spiritually, physically, emotionally better the lives of children through his foundation. He's up here in you know the northern part of the town, mm-hmm. kind of separated from it all. Chris has always been looked at, I think it's fair to say. As a Kentucky guy. Yeah. And, and you, people that live around here, you know what I mean by that. That's not an, it's not saying anything no, he, bad. Is Highlands, is that where his kids went? Well, yeah, Highlands High School. But but he's, he's been over there and his wife's from Kentucky. Awesome family, Holly and, and all her, uh, her, her family, mom and dad. And, and I, I've met a, her sister and they're great folks. And, and Chris has done so much good for the community. But I think most of Chris's stuff, you know, he did the talk show here for a long time on WLW. But, but I think most people look at him as a, quote, unquote, just national guy. Right. You think that's fair?
2: Yeah. No, I mean, he's on Sunday Night Football. Yeah. And I mean, he, you know, um,
1: and, and, and believe me, he's done a ton of great stuff for people in this town. And a lot of it, you know, he, he wants it all under the radar. He, he's been great for the town in every way. But yeah. I, I think the point is an interesting one. But where I was going in a long-winded way is another guy I think that, that, that the town did not get to know very well is Jay Bruce um you know young man who grew up in texas special needs sister and he's talked about this from time to time um and and i'd really like to have him on this show sometime i'm going to try to ring him up and uh and get him to to be on the show or ask him to be be on the show all right that's all we got today brandon big day tomorrow bengali's v dolphins and you're doing a tailgate. To, you're not doing it tomorrow. Now.
2: No, we are. We, we, we changed it. We are now. You are? So we're going to be at the Moorline Logger House down at the Banks. Ultimate tailgate party. Going to have a really good time out there. DJ music, cornhole. Foaling, I think, is going to be there. Do you know what foaling is? No. It It's the football bowling. You So they set up pins, and then you throw a football at bowling pins. Oh, that sounds cool. Very hard. I'm sure it is. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we did a charity event with Sam Hubbard. A while ago because he has his event at the uh, foaling warehouse over in madisonville and clark harris the long snapper yep. before he got hurt was snapping the ball How hitting cool strikes was that? yeah was that's pretty cool. really cool
1: all right so you'll be down there by more lines not longworth hall by more lines tomorrow night yep Lager that's a House. great spot yep uh, the great long outside spot. easy walk you know quarter of a mile maybe down uh to the stadium okay we'll see you tomorrow thanks for being with us god bless see you manana
2: If I can figure out how to get out of it, (laughs) Nope. Uh, No, I'm trying. Yeah, no, we're good now. We're going now. See you later.